He came, in verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. John chapter 16. This is speaking of Jesus, by the way. Jesus came unto his own. His own received him not. His own rejected him. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now had they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the world might be, excuse me, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Again, my text, John 1 and 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. I want to begin this series with rejected yet accepted. Rejected yet accepted. Let us pray. Reverend Hill, would you please pray over our messenger messenger this morning. Amen. You may be seated. If you want to make sure your phones are turned off or to silent, that'll be a blessing. <laughs> God's timing. Amen. <laughs> the AT&T Universal Credit Card Company turned down applicant Dallas Hill Jr. They sent him 2,986 rejections by U.S. mail. Can you imagine going to your post office every day for how long that would be? I don't know. And getting all of these rejections. And yet, rejection is something that we have all dealt with. Probably even more than 2,986 times. It's something that we have to deal with on an ongoing basis. 
Now, for most of us, we learn to cope with it. And we don't, we don't stay uh, with our mind thinking about the rejection. But if you think about it, we face rejection in many different ways. Romantic rejection. When someone is interested in a person and they won't give them the time of day. A heartbreak. A job rejection. When you apply for a job thinking you're the perfect one for the job. But the interviewer doesn't agree with you. And you don't get the job. Social rejection. When someone feels left out or excluded from a social group or event. A family rejection. When people have disapproval from their own family, their own parents, siblings, or extended family. How about this? Creative rejection. You come up with an idea or a plan and you go to put it into practice and people do not accept your plan, your idea. They don't think it's as good as you think it is. Or rejection in friendships. When you want to befriend someone but the other person is just not interested in being your friend. Or finally, rejection in faith or belief. When someone's faith or beliefs are not accepted or uh, they're not accepted and they are rejected by others. It can be a difficult thing to face all of these, uh, all of these rejections that can come our way. Amen? We all have to deal with it. Christian or non-Christian. And there is a right way and there is a wrong way to deal with it. There was one man who seemed to walk around like pig pen of the Peanuts comic strip. He had been rejected, but he had internalized that rejection. He had developed a magnetic personality, not the type of magnetic magnetic personality that drew people, but the type of magnets that have same poles, you know, when you have two magnets and you turn them around and they push them away, that was his type of magnetic personality. Once he had been rejected, he just thought everybody was going to reject him. And so he projected this spirit of rejection, saying, I, I don't know the exact words, but you can imagine someone saying, well, you don't want to go out with me, do you? Or I'm sure that you couldn't be looking for someone like me for this job, right? So his projection of rejection made him get exactly what he was expecting. He was talking as if it were all their fault. And yet, as kindly as the man could, he began to see, explain to him, what we project is what we get back. If one or two persons reject you, that's just kind of how life is. Not everybody's going to accept you. And expecting that everybody to accept you is unrealistic. But if too many people reject me, I can be sure that the reason lies within me. Are you still here? In the, world, the real world, we tend to treat ourselves the way we were treated. And then others treat us the way we treat ourselves. So if you begin to look within and say, well, there's nothing worth accepting in me, and you treat yourself that way, others start treating you that way. And you see this sometimes. It's, it's, a, it's a repulsive personality 
And I say that in one sense in, in, in mercy because you look at them and you say, you don't have to be that way. There are great things about you and God didn't create any junk or trash. God loves you and he wants you to be accepted in his family. But you've got to overcome it first in your mind. Now the problem is that sometimes in dealing with rejection, some people become fixated on it and they project rejection. Others, when they have been rejected, they retaliate. And they reject others with cruelty. Oh, yeah, well, if somebody won't accept me, I'm not going to accept anybody else. And you see them walking around with this, this chip on their shoulder and this idea of lashing out and hurting others with their cruelty. I got to tell you a story. And I hesitate to tell you the story because of some of the details. But it's not meant to be funny. So ahead of time, bear with me. The man's name is Joseph Milton Blahi. He was a Liberian warlord. And when he was young, his father willingly surrendered him to the priests in their tribe. I think he was like five or nine years old, very young, who began to teach him black magic. And he became involved in it. When he was still very young, I think 11 years old, he would be the one that would get visions from the devil concerning the next human sacrifice that should be offered for their tribe. He would give the name to the elders, and then he would lead the group of people to the household. And there, they would get that person. They would dismember them. They would cut their heart out, and he would eat their heart. He was involved not only in cannibalism, but he recruited a bunch, an army of children who he would give drugs to and involve them in the cannibalism, and they would raid and fight. In his demonic, crazed way, the enemy convinced him, and there's really a link here, that he would be impervious to bullets if he would fight naked. And so he would often go into battle with these other folks wearing just tennis shoes, carrying a machete. Because of that, and again, this is not meant to be funny. This is just the truth, okay? But because of that, they gave him a nickname of General Butt Naked. Now, think about this. As I thought about this, you begin to see the tie between how the enemy wants, first of all, he wants us to expose ourselves. That's the plan of the devil. Amen. How him linking this nakedness in this mind, this man's eye to his uh, um, uh, imperviousness to bullets. Now eventually, this man was involved in some of the most horrendous crimes that could be imagined. Slitting open pregnant women, dismembering their bodies, cutting off good limbs. Again, cannibalism, drug-infused, um, uh, horrible things. Getting these children to do the wrong things. But eventually, he had a vision from Jesus. 
who said that uh, unless you repent, what were the exact words? He said, you, you must repent or you will continue to be a slave. He said, Jesus told him to repent and live or refuse and die. And this was happening while he still had the blood stains of this child's heart on his hands. Eventually, it didn't happen at that moment, but within the next few days, the man repented. He became a preacher. At first, the people did not believe. Remember, what kind of father, when you're young, rejects you from your household, pushes you into dark magic, willingly giving up their son, how he had responded was going out and being murderous and cruel. And yet Jesus, in the midst of this man's murderous, cruel crusade, appears to him. And he gives his heart to Christ. At first people thought it was just some kind of a ploy. Well, he's just doing this. He's not real. But as he preached about only love can change the hearts of mankind, they began to say, something's happened. He would go to some of the people whose brothers he had killed and as he would talk to them, he would say, please forgive me. I'm so sorry I killed your brother. I know I cannot bring him back. But if you need brotherly advice or brotherly protection, I will be there for you. Not everybody accepted his repentance. Not everybody accepted what he said. And you can imagine why. Some yet killed their children and so on and so forth. And there were people that refused to be around them or accept what he said. But he even went to what was called the Tribal Reconciliation Commission. It was kind of like a, a legal commission. And he presented himself and he testified. And when they asked him, how many people do you think that you killed? He said it had to be over 20,000 people. As this Liberian warlord. But through the whole process, the commission recommended amnesty for him. He had presented himself to the law, willing to be imprisoned or do whatever. But they saw such a change that they recommended amnesty. You can imagine he is still not the beloved man of the area. And there are still people that reject, reject him. But rejection can take upon itself a whole lifestyle. He was rejected. He responded by cruelty, murder, anger, and hatred. And yet in the midst of all that, there was a God that reached out to him and loved him. And so, number one, there is a way to respond to rejection, a wrong way. We cannot project it and begin to think that we're always going to be rejected. Number two, we cannot retaliate with cruelty and anger. All right, you did me that way, I'm going to do you that way. That's not the way to do it either. There is a right way. And where do we find our example? But the Word of God. Jesus faced rejection. The Bible said he came to his own. What did he come to this earth to do? He didn't come with lightning in his hands to kill people or to hurt them. What did he come to this earth to do? 
He came to bring forgiveness. He came to pay for the sins of mankind. He came to be the, the connection that would connect man's sin to God's forgiveness and bring them back into fellowship one with another. And yet, to the very ones that he came to, the Bible said he was rejected. Listen to this. There was a poor woman who was in such great distress because she could not pay her rent. She was expecting the officers to come, seize her goods, and put her out. Her pastor heard about this. And so he went to her house with the rent money to help her. He knocked at the door, but she didn't answer. He went around to the windows, knocking and reaching out, but she would not come. And finally, eventually, he had to leave. Later on, they found out she was on the inside the whole time. But she thought it was the officer coming to take her stuff. And so she refused to open up. And you think about that, that's just like Jesus. He's coming with the answer for your soul. He's coming with forgiveness. He's coming to help you. And so many people keep their doors locked. So many key people keep their hearts closed. So many people refuse to open up and say, Jesus, here I am. But God's got the answer for you. Yes, you may have been rejected. Yes, bad things may have happened to you. Yes, you may not have been accepted. But there's a God that says, I want to help you. Jesus faced rejection, but he didn't let it stop him from loving even those that crucified him. From the cross, you hear his word saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He had, if we would say it this way, he had a right to be upset at them. They were the ones beating him. He had a right to hold it against them. They were the ones putting nails through his innocent hands. He had a right to be upset with them. They were the ones putting a, a, a cross on his innocent head. And yet he did not hold that against them. He said, Father, forgive them. He didn't stop helping. Sometimes we get upset because things don't go our way. And so we enter into a little place of what we think is safety. But the problem is, when you enter into a cage to keep all the bad things out, you're still a prisoner. You keep all the good things out too. Amen? He didn't stop helping even though others rejected him. To do that poisons your own life. Jesus was the ultimate victor and not victim. He didn't succumb to the victim mentality. He said, Father, forgive them. He said, not my will, but thine be done. When Satan lifted up himself, he was cast down. But Jesus humbled himself, he was lifted up. Satan was focused on himself and was cut off from God. Jesus focused on others, and we know that he will have fellowship with the Father and be the firstborn among many brethren. It is lonely to be self-centered, but it is a blessing to be a part of a family. Now, how does that play out in my life, in your life? If you're focused on how people treat you, you always find deficiencies. They didn't give you the food hot enough. They didn't pay you as much as you think you deserve to be paid. Things didn't go the way that you thought that they should go. Amen? But if I'm focused on others, 
how I can serve them, how I can help them, I begin to find an answer out of my problem. How can I get out of rejection? I realize how much God loves me. And because he loves me, I don't have to stay in this pit forever. Victims demand to be served, waited upon, catered to. Victors, overcomers, winners, they serve, they help others, they give up their life, and in doing so, they are blessed. Listen to what the Bible said. Whosoever loseth his life for my sake and the gospels shall have a hundredfold here, houses and brethren and land, and in the life to come, eternal life. Reverend Hill and I were talking a little bit about this recently. When it comes to doing work around the church, sometimes we have a season where everybody jumps in and thank God because we need everybody. And then sometimes when that particular event is gone, some of the volunteers dry up and it's just a handful. And then you look around at the demographics and you find the young and the old, the very young and the very old are the ones that serve. And you got to ask the question, why do you get these two extremes sometimes? Well, the very young, the, the, the children and the teenagers, they're not trying to impress anybody. They understand that they want to have purpose in their life. And so they're willing to serve. They have no pretenses of being great, no expectation that others should serve them. They find inclusion in working together toward a cause. And the very old, why? Very similar. They find purpose and fellowship in serving. Their life, now often with no daily job to give them a sense of purpose, is reoriented by offering their time to a worthy cause. And so you find the young teenagers helping and you find the older folks painting and, and stripping floors and, and cooking. But then you have to ask, what about all the folks in between? What happens to them? I have a hypothesis. They feel they have arrived. And I've heard this from some people. Others should serve them. Don't you know who I am? I am somebody. They've got a little bit of money now. They're not so young anymore, so let the young folks do it. I'm busy with my own life's purposes. And so they don't esteem God's purpose as number one priority in their life. And yes, there are times, you know, high visibility times, they'll step in to be seen. But behind the scenes, oftentimes in their mind, they're thinking, let others serve because I am important. But Jesus tells us that the greatest would be those who are the servant of all. Amen. Now, two or three more points, we're almost done. Dealing with others being rejected might include you accepting them as part of the healing. Let me give you an example. A young guy named uh, Gordon. Well, let me give you the, other, the first guy. first guy was an 11-year-old. He was addicted to baseball. 
He listened to baseball games on the radio, watched them on TV, went to school uh, to trade baseball cards. Uh, he played. He was a baseball junkie. His fantasies, his dreams were all about baseball. He played whenever and uh, wherever he could. He played organized. He played sandlot. He played catch with his brother, with his father, with his friends. If all else failed, he bounced the ball off the porch stairs, imagining all kinds of wonderful things happening to him time and time again. And if you are a young, uh, you were once a young boy, you were probably right in those shoes. Amen? Bottom of the ninth, two out, you're up. Full count. Boom! Home run. You're the hero. Amen? But there was one uh, other little boy. This first fella joined the Little League baseball team, but there was another boy named Gordon. Gordon was not a baseball fanatic. He was not addicted, nor was he good. He moved into the neighborhood that year, signed up to play baseball. The kindest way to describe Gordon's baseball skills is to say that he didn't have any. He couldn't catch. He couldn't hit. He couldn't throw. He couldn't run. In fact, Gordon was afraid of the ball. And so he was relieved, the boys tell the story, was relieved when the final selections were made and Gordon was assigned to another team. Dodge that bullet. Everyone had to play at least half of each game. And I couldn't see Gordon improving my team's chances in any way. He couldn't catch, he couldn't hit, he couldn't throw, he couldn't run. After two weeks of practice, Gordon dropped out. He said, my friends on the team laughed when they told me how their coach directed two of the team's better players to walk Gordon into the woods and have a chat with him. Get lost was the message they delivered. And get lost was the message that was heard. Gordon got lost. Now, the little 11-year-old boy who was telling the story, his sense of righteousness was and indignation was aroused. So he went and he told his coach. He thought that his coach would go to the league office and have Gordon return to his original team. Justice and his team's chances would be served. But his coach thought otherwise. His coach thought that Gordon should play on a team where he was accepted and loved. And so the coach went and got Gordon onto their team. Little boy wasn't too happy about that. He said, I wish I could tell you that Gordon got the one big hit with two outs in the final inning. It didn't happen. He said, I don't think he ever even hit a foul ball. Baseball's hit in his direction, right field, went over him, by him, through him, or off of him. It wasn't that Gordon didn't get help. The coach gave him extra batting practice, worked with him on his fielding, all without much improvement. I'm not sure if Gordon learned anything from my coach that year. He said, I know I did. I learned how to bunt without tipping off my intention. I learned to tag up on a fly if there were less than two outs. I learned to make a smoother pivot around second base on a double play. He said, I learned a lot from my coach that summer. But my most important lesson wasn't learned about baseball. They were about character and integrity. He said, I learned that everyone was worth, has worth 
whether they can hit 300 or 30. I learned that we all have value, whether we can stop the ball or we have to turn and chase it. I learned that doing what is right and fair and honorable is more important than winning or losing. He said it felt good to be on that team that year. I'm grateful that man was my coach. I was proud to be his shortstop and his son. Now let me back up. Sometimes in healing somebody else's rejection, it requires your acceptance. That's what happened there, do you see? And sometimes when somebody else may be cast off, you're going to have to be the one that goes and picks them up and brings them in, has a lunch with them, listens to them, prays with them, and loves them. Get ready, musicians. I read a lot of stories in preparing this, lots and lots. But as I did, the one story that was the most poignant, powerful, well, it was about a father and two sons. And the younger son, seeing how rich his father was, decided he wanted to leave home. And so he asked his father to give him his half of the inheritance. You'll recognize this story because it's God's story of the prodigal son. In the, the younger son asking for his inheritance from his father, what he was saying was, Father, I want your money, but I don't want you. And I want you to see this, and we're only going to go a few minutes longer, so really pay attention. Because in the story, you have three stories. You have the father being rejected by the younger son. Give me your money, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And the father willingly gave him his half of the inheritance, his portion, I should say, of the inheritance. And he left. The father, having been rejected by the younger son, and we know the younger son was out there, and everything was fine as long as he had money. He was the life of the party. Everyone wanted to be around him. He was the one buying drinks. But eventually his money ran out. And eventually the rejection that he had dished to his father began to be dished to him. Nobody would give him a job until the lowest job that he could even find was to, to feed the pigs. And they wouldn't even give him any food and so there in that position, we find that he had to go back and humble himself. As he walked back to his father's, the father had a choice. This boy who has rejected me, I can reject him. Or I can begrudgingly accept him after he licks my boots. And the son had to come back with humility, recognizing the damage he had done. But when he got back, he didn't find what he thought. For the father did not offer begrudging acceptance. Matter of fact, we find the father running to him. And we find the father welcoming him back to the family. And we find the father throwing a party for him and putting the best clothes on him and saying, come on home. It was an acceptance that was far above and beyond what anybody could even imagine. 
and we begin to get an understanding of who that father was, it was God. And God is saying, I want you to come home. And we so often find ourselves in the pig pens of life knowing that we have rejected God and don't think that he would accept us. But I want to tell you this morning, not only will he accept you, he's been waiting for you to come home. He's got a robe of righteousness. He's got a family. He's got a party ready for you to come back and say, Jesus, here I am. There was a third story. That was the older brother. He didn't like the fact that his father would accept the younger brother back. Sometimes you see this in church. Someone who's been guilty, who's lived a profligate life, they've done the wrong things. Maybe they've got some stains, lots of stains on their character. Maybe they've got a prison record or maybe an abortion in their past. Maybe they've got three or four failed marriages, a drug addiction, maybe a a health problem or a mental problem. And the world looks at them and rejects them and they think, I'll never have a place. But God's saying, you have value to me. I'm waiting for you to come home. I died so that you could be forgiven. Come to me. And he waits for you to come back. The elder son didn't like him coming back. And we see that sometimes in church. Sometimes people have this better than thou, holier than thou personality that says, why are you letting them come? Or or, I think they should dress this way. Or I think they should be that way. It wasn't until the father accepted him that he put a new robe on him. Amen. Let me give you this. Because there is an ultimate rejection. The younger son had enough sense, mercy, enough understanding of his father's love to come home. But what if he had never come home? What if he had never got out of the pig pen? Would he have died there? Would he have never known how much the father loved him? Would he have never understood the depths of his father's love for him? And there is a God that loves you. But make no mistake, God cannot and will not forgive unrepented of sin. You've got to come back to him. You've got to say, Lord, I know I've sinned. Forgive me. And if you do not, there is an ultimate rejection. When God must turn his back on you because you refuse to come to him. I don't want that. God the Father doesn't want that. He's saying, come home to me now. I'm done as I begin to play softly. Maria lived in a little pueblo in, I think it was Brazil. Her mother always warned her about going to the big city. He knew there wasn't much there. She knew there wasn't much there for a young girl to do, to survive. But one day... When she became a teenager, she left her little pueblo, jumped on a bus, headed to the big city. It wasn't too long until when exactly what her mother thought would happen, happened. She found herself so desperate that she went from bedroom to bedroom, barroom to barroom, selling her body to survive. Her mother chased after her. 
Before she left the little town, she went into one of those little photo booths and she got into that little thing. She took as many pictures of herself as she could. And as she took the bus to the big city, Rio de Janeiro, she wrote a little note on the back of each of those pictures. She went searching through every bar room and every place and she'd leave a little picture wherever she went. And finally, when her money was about gone, she had to get back on the bus and go back. One of those mornings, Maria from a half-drunken stupor came down from yet another bedroom and she looked and did a double take. There by the public phone booth was a picture she recognized it was her mother. She picked it up, she turned it over. Here's what the word said. Maria, whatever you've done, whatever, wherever you've gone, come home. And Maria came home. God is giving us that same picture today saying, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, come home. He's wanting you to come today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I know I've gone the wrong pathway. I've been rejected. But today I want to come home. Today I want to be free. Today I'm not going to stay away because of my own pride. I admit I've done wrong. And now I'm asking you to forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. If you've been rejected, there's one that says, I won't reject you if you'll just come to me. Here's what the word of God says. He will in no wise cast you out. Come to him. He won't throw you away. Come to him and say, God, I want forgiven. And he'll cleanse you today. Father, I pray, accomplish your will in this altar call. We ask in Jesus' wonderful name. These altars are open. Let's come. Come today and let God forgive you. Come today and let God accept you. You may have been rejected by the world, but there's a God that says he loves you. But don't stay in the pig pen. Come home. He's waiting for you. Come as the Christians come. You come. Come. He's calling you. Come on. These altars are open. Let's find a place of prayer. Turn to God and ask him. Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in my heart. Oh, he's 